Welcome to the second edition of the Mandalore podcast, Green Finance. Our goal is to increase awareness about green finance. This podcast is brought to you by Mandalore Partners, previously Odis Partners. My name is Min Tran, Managing Partner, and I will be your host today. Our second guest is Sasia Beslik, Managing Director and Head of Sustainable Finance Development at Bank Safra Sarrazin. He is the number one thought leader and influencer in green finance ranking for the past six months. Welcome, Sasia. Great to have you here. Um, how are you, Sasha? Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very good, and it's great to be on this podcast. I like to structure the interview into three parts. You know, first, uh, try to understand why finance, uh, or green finance is important for you. Second, explain how you tackle this cause or issue, and then finish with some lesson learned. How does that sound? Yes, I think yeah. sounds very good. It's straightforward, yeah. And at the end, we do a little bit of uh, protection why in a fire chat. So let me start with the why. Um, but before we start with the why, can you tell us more about yourself and how you end up in green finance? Well, that's a, it's, a, it's a long story. I'm quite seasoned in the investment sort of a business. I've been uh, working with sustainable investments and finance for 20 plus years. I've started my career as a war correspondent, and then I went to work for a oil and gas sector on environmental and social issues for a couple of years. And uh, after that, I basically uh, started to work, to work in the finance industry uh, back in the days on ethical investments. I was a deputy CEO and had a research for a, a small outfit in, in Sweden back in 2003. And then I went to work for a biggest Nordic bank asset manager called Nordea. And I did that for about approximately 10 years. And then I basically went on to work with uh, Jay Safa Saracen asset management here in Switzerland. I have a bit of a different approach to uh, sustainable investments than many others. I used to spend a lot of time on the ground in various parts of the world. Prior to COVID, uh, I had uh, approximately 160 traveling days per year, visiting basically businesses all around the world to understand how they manage their operations from both sort of a commercial point of view, but also from environmental and, and social governance point. Um, so thank you very much. Um, let me start with the why and uh, why do you think green finance is important? Look, I mean, sustainable finances has and green finance has been evolving over the last 10 years pretty rapidly. And the core reason is that the financial industry is only true global citizen because the money does not have color, nationality, ethnicity. It moves around the world in a matter of seconds. And... Uh, it is the core element of market economy that reallocates resources depending on the needs. So as such, the, the financial industry is the engine in, in both financing what we today deem as not sustainable and also in the future what we believe will be solutions going forward in order to tackle issues like climate change or social issues related to human rights and union issues and so on. The industry itself has, it's a toolbox that can be used I used to say either produce, you know, uh, the tanks or or uh, hospitals. So it depends how you use the toolbox. You can actually the outcome can be something uh, pretty different. And in this case, the industry uh, capital that is managed around the world uh, needs to be uh, shifted uh, towards sustainable uh, investment solutions. Not because it's the only, the right thing to do, but it's also uh, a very profitable way of. Uh, getting returns from the investments that you make. Understood, understood. 
Um, and to get returns, do you think um, there's still challenges going forward? Yeah, on the return side, look, I mean, it, on, not all sustainable investments are better you know, from a return perspective. It pretty much depends how they're done, what investment horizon you have, what kind of underlying vehicle in terms of is it liquid equity, non-liquid, uh, are we talking about bonds, private equity, and so on. But the general sort of a notion in industry today is that by increasing the, uh, the the spectrum of of environmental and social and governance uh, metrics in your investment decision making process, you are getting much better picture on where the potential risks are and also opportunities. And some of the scandals of last years uh, in all the various industries and sectors have also indicated that ESG or sustainable investment me measurements are very relevant in order to um, to determine where the potential uh, investment risk is. And you could avoid many of these things by investing in a sustainable way. So I would say that, you know, it's not per definition uh, that you know, sustainable investments are getting you a better returns. I think it depends how they're done. But there are many examples around the world today where, especially during the COVID, and if you look at the numbers, uh, sustainable investments have uh, managed to get better returns to uh, to the customers and clients, uh, which also has created a lot of influx of uh, assets into these kind of uh, vehicles and products. All right. And when I hear you answer, you, you seem to say that there's still gap in the, in the measurement, right? That, that, uh, is that the case? Yeah, I mean, it is because there is no one single global standard. Uh, environmental, social and governance issues can be interpreted and integrated into your investment process in many different ways. European Union is trying to harmonize um, the standards and there's been a lot of discussion on that. Uh, Uh, we do have some positive movements in that space. We see that uh, there will be uh, standards in, introduced in terms of defining what are the so-called uh, uh, brown assets and what are the green assets and, and how um, investors can sort of uh, report on, on the activities and so on. Uh, another gap is pretty much related to the fact that uh, most of the ESG data today is self-reported by companies and in many cases not uh, aud um, audited or verified by third parties, in, in which case it means that you are investing in a set of data points uh, and using these data points for investments that are not necessarily always correct because there are errors in uh, how different providers, MSCI, Sustainalytics, uh, what measurements do they actually take into account. So it is... Um, It is a sort of a process where you see that industry will mature, but it will take a couple of more years before we're there. Okay. And if I move to the how, I mean, how do we get matured? And how do we close those gaps efficiently? Uh, you know, according to you, what, what would be your, 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 your number one gap to close? You know, the, the first gap in our industry, which is, I think, uh, would benefit not only our industry, but it will benefit transition to sustainable futures, the carbon pricing. We, of course, it almost sounds like a dream, but we would need to have a carbon pr global pr carbon price that needs to be uh, integrated into a valuation models and uh, by that also integrated in, in how we evaluate uh, the stock prices and everything else. So that's the that's one thing. The second thing would be that uh, we have more of a comprehensive uh, global uh, standard on some of the things that are related to how the data is reported and what needs to be there. And the third one will, of course, be that many of the data points that we have uh, 
uh, and are using today, being that, um, you know, emissions scope one, two, and three, or, you know, how companies are managing certain tangible material, social risks, that information needs to be verified uh, because currently uh, we just take it for granted and uh, put a fair value of what companies are telling us, which in some cases is not correct. So these are the three points I would sort of uh, put forward. And the fourth one is that um, education and uh, understanding of how sustainable investments work is the area where much needs to be done because normal people do not understand that you know, if I cut my emissions by taking a bike or eating the food that is not uh, CO2 heavy or not taking the flights, uh, I'm contributing with whatever I can. But in the same time, the same people are getting their pensions managed in a non-sustainable way, given the fact that global sustainable, uh, you know, investments are uh, a global player. Uh, you have access through that toolbox, which is a financial industry, to, uh, let's say, from Switzerland, impact what's going on in India by investing in the right way. You don't necessarily need to do things on the ground. understand. I pick up on one of the four points that you mentioned. Uh, you said that companies um, are doing... Uh, a, we must find a way to measure what companies are doing, but um, how, how companies are implementing group finance? Are there any best practice that you've seen by traveling around the world? You know, one of the one of the growing trends that I see around the world, and I would say especially in some parts of the Europe, you can say that even in Asia to some extent, is the uh, inclusion of, uh, let's say, climate risk into the financial accounting. So that's one of the things that we believe is, is uh, the positive trend that you can see that companies are Onloading the, the climate risk into the into their financial statements, uh, actually accounting for potential risks and opportunities in this area, which is very good. Uh, also, that um, on the reporting side, that um, some of the companies, very few, though, uh, are starting to uh, report on verified ESG sort of a material information that investors can actually take. Uh, in the full value and account for when we make investment decisions. So these are the positive examples uh, that I have. Thank you, thank you. Let's move to to what you see in the future. You know, um, you've been, you know, as you said, uh, traveling around the world. Um, how will be the scene of green finance in ten years? You know, we are in 2020. Mm. What what do you see coming up uh, with your with your eyes? You know, I've been thinking this is a very relevant question. It's one of the key questions for me. I've been thinking about it a lot. I think you will see, uh, you know, uh, uh, next couple of years, there will be a significant inflation in ESG. What I mean by that uh, is that uh, many players, uh, due to the huge climb, uh, the, the interest from the different client groups, are running into this space. And I think there will be a significant sort of... Um, dilution uh, dilution of what ESG in principle needs to be. So you will have many players on the market saying that they are doing sustainable investments and it will be very difficult for many people to evaluate what do they actually mean. So uh, you will see that maybe next two to three years. Uh, then I think that one of the biggest trends uh, for the next 10 decade or 10 years, uh, it's probably the the, the fact that the sustainable investment need to prove uh, what is the outcome of you investing in these funds. So just to make it very clear, when you buy electric vehicle, you get the output or the outcome is that you're not polluting. If you buy a sustainable fund, 
you need to understand what the outcome is. And especially if you're investing on listed markets, I mean, bonds and equities, uh, you would need to be able to provide your customers and clients with a clear sort of a result on on the outcome of these investments. And that's something that industry is not doing today and will definitely need to be doing in the next 10 years. Uh, another trend uh, is, of course, the data. And I think currently uh, it is a bit of a deadlock in that because you have a couple of global information providers which are in principle using algorithms to transfer information provided by companies in their CSR reports. And that information is then distributed and sold to investment community. I think you will have uh, that kind, that part of the industry will will transform itself. there will be a new disruptive models coming in next 10 years that will enable investors <clears throat> to have a far more uh, in-depth look in, in what is really going on on the ground because there is, a, there is a big need for us to understand if these trillion and trillion of investments that are supposedly to be responsible and sustainable, if they're making any difference on the ground. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for the trends. Um, what else, um, I forgot to ask you, this is important, but what are the, you know, the, the most important key message that you usually tell your investors, uh, you know, uh, in, your, in your job? I mean, the key message is that, that uh, I mean, investing in a sustainable way uh, enables you to have better understanding of both risk and opportunities, but it also provides the opportunity to, uh, to influence and impact uh, the outputs on the other side on the ground and make the shift to sustainable future much faster. I mean, this is the biggest investment opportunity of a century. It is so because we are facing the, 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 the multitude of, of challenges, climate change being one of them, but the socioeconomic uh, consequences of COVID and combined with the, with the climate change, combined with the downward trends on the world markets, will create a tremendous pressure on the uh, national economies. And uh, I think that you know, um, investing in a sustainable way contributes you to actually do that in a way that we can create transition. Many call it a just transition. We can call it a fair transition to uh, transition to uh, to sustainable future where, you know, um, we can get outcomes that are a bit more balanced than the ones we have today. Um, you have, you know, if you look at the if you look at the numbers, some of these numbers are quite staggering. So, you know, 100 companies in the world, in principle, stand for 70% of industrial emissions. We know who they are. We know where they are. And in the same time, we have big difficulties to make uh, transition and, and uh, to make them more uh, CO2 efficient or less CO2 intensive. And the reason is that the consequences uh, of of, uh, severe cuts uh, for some countries, you can take India as an example, with a huge coal access uh, to a very cheap energy source, uh, basically forced them uh, to develop new coal power plants instead of uh, doing something else. But they are faced with the challenge of uh, feeding the 1.4 billion people with energy in the same time, not having enough money to make their and finance transition uh, towards renewable energy. So these are the elements that we need to face. This is not a, many people around the world think that this transition, you know, we just need to cut the emissions, but then that's the fact and we need to do that. But 
the challenge is, of course, how do we do that in a socioeconomic context that is not beneficial for many developing countries? And how do we bridge that gap? Then that's the probably the bigger question than, than the climate change in, in itself. Well, thank you. Thank you for this conclusion. Uh, so, Sasha, you, you've been ranking uh, for the past six months since the, the influential ranking there, number one, you know, consistently. So people uh, like what you say, and uh, I guess people like to know who you are, right? So I have this quick fire chat, and I'm going to ask you seven questions um, and just, you know, reply quickly and we, we, we move like this, okay? If you were a season or element of nature? I'm Earth. Earth. Pretty okay. much the Earth, yeah. If you were a country or a city? Uh, city, Stockholm. The beautiful city has everything you need. Fantastic place. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, if you were a vehicle? Uh, I'll probably be a boat. Okay. If you were a book? If I were a book, I would be uh, The Shadow of the Wind, a book by um, deceased. I mean, he's, uh, he just passed away, unfortunately. Louis Safon. Yeah. Hmm. If you were a dish or a recipe? Uh, I would be a chocolate cake. If you were a hobby? Uh, I would probably a chess. <laughs> and if you were a hashtag? Uh, I'm going to say something that it's maybe not appropriate on your podcast, but it will probably be no bullshit. You know? <laughs> I, I don't like that. Yeah. Hashtag uh, Sasha no bullshit. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, Sasha, for, for this podcast. Thanks, you, thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure to be here and doing, you're doing a great work. Thanks a lot. Thank you. If you want to hear more about Sasha, please follow his Twitter at Sasha Beslik. And if you want to hear about our podcast, you can find us at Mandalore underscore Min. It was the second episode of Mainstreaming Green Finance, a podcast by Mandalore Partners. I hope you enjoy it and I'm looking forward to connecting with you in the next few months. Bye-bye.